We're on a worldwide search to see what inclusive education looks like. So Blackboard Ally is going on tour for 2019, visiting campuses around the globe to learn how they're tackling their toughest accessibility challenges and improving the learning experience for all their students. All right, we're back with another episode of the BB Ally Tour podcast series. After a trek across the country from Berkeley, California to Charlotte, North Carolina, I've arrived here at Gaston College, where I'm sitting down with Kim Gelsinger and Karen Duncan to learn about how they've been using Blackboard Ally over the past year to make their learning content more accessible. They've been really keen on leveraging the institutional report to design their strategy, identify high-impact courses, and put processes in place to make a difference. So let's hear about what their strategies have been, how they're taking the next steps to becoming a more inclusive campus. On the Ally Road Tour, I have arrived at Gaston College in North Carolina. I'm sitting down with two members of the team that's been leading their charge for inclusive learning and their ally rollout. So I'm going to let you two introduce yourselves. I'm going to start on my left here with Karen. Karen Duncan and I am the Instructional Technology Specialist and I am also the e-learning accessibility liaison. And I'm Kim Gilsinger. I'm the Director of Distance Education here at Gaston College and I pretty much oversee the day-to-day -day operations on the learning management system. I wanted to start with the story. This is a famous story now. We have to get it on, on camera. Tell me how you discovered Ally. Um, John, I love sharing the story about Ally. Um, a couple of years ago, a colleague and myself snuck away to a competitor's LMS conference. Uh, it was being held in Colorado. And as we were there, we happened to notice uh, one of the exhibitors was Blackboard. And we tried to be as inconspicuous as possible um, but of course we had to go by the booth and see what they were promoting and Blackboard Ally was a new product that was being promoted so we were so excited about Blackboard Ally that we came back to campus and immediately got Karen on board with the product and I think within an hour of us returning that following Monday I had a call from our Blackboard account executive wanting to know what I was doing at the competitors LMS conference the week before so I guess um, I would say be careful where you go um, because you never know when somebody's going to see you, but you also never know what great products you're going to find. So um, it's a great story, and we are so glad that we were able to implement Ally um, in a very quick time frame once we discovered it. Tell me just what got you excited when you first saw Ally? What, was, what got you excited about the product? I think because in North Carolina, all of the... Um, educational institutions were tasked with defining a five-year accessibility plan. And we had started that endeavor and we had came to realize that it was going to take a lot of resources to remediate, to, to get us to where we needed to be. And when we saw Ally, it was like the answer to all of our, our prayers. I mean, we wouldn't have to spend $30,000, you know, to an outside vendor trying to remediate documents or to find out even where to start. So um, I think for the cost, for the implementation, I just saw it as an answer to our prayers, you know, of, of what we needed to get done. And then, of course, Karen took it, took that ball and ran with it. And what she's done over the last two years has just been amazing for Gaston College. 
Karen, were you involved in that initial, like establishing that five-year plan? Yes. Accessibility. Want to talk just a little bit what was mandated in that plan from the state, how you all approached that, that five-year plan? Unfortunately, there was no models out there for us, so we all had to develop our plans, and we did some collaboration with other institutions of kind of what they were doing and got an idea of, of that we wanted to introduce universal design in our first year because we had to let people be aware of why we were doing what we were doing. And then um, we broke it down into focusing on documents our second year, um, multimedia our third year with um, also DPATS, and then PowerPoints our fourth year, and then just rolling it all up in, in that last year. Um, we have an online quality initiative that we've been doing since 2007 of some sort on our campus and then our QEP in 2012 until 2017 was focusing on online quality standards and accessibility was a part of that. So we have been doing remediation with documents for a long, long time. We just didn't have a way to find out how good we were doing. Mm -hmm. And when we turned Blackboard Ally on, it was just that aha moment and excitement because we were seeing so much green in our gear shifts. Um, so it really said, you're on the right track. And now we had a way to track of what we were wanting to do. Initially, we were saying, our first year documents, we're gonna be 50% accessible with our documents. Well, that's very difficult to do when you don't know how many documents you have. And our statistics are showing us that that number changes daily. So you can't catch that 100% ever. But you can say, well, we're gonna do 25% better than what we did, or 50% better. And so now we have a realistic goal in sight. And um, instead of trying to break it down just by documents and images and PowerPoints, we're doing it all together now because we have the ability to do that with Ally, with additional software, with staff helping us remediate this so that faculty don't have to do that all by themselves as well. And how has Ally fit into the broader kind of distance education piece? Uh, I, I think it's just one more piece of the all-inclusive access that is needed in a learning management system. Um, every one of our courses every semester has a Blackboard presence, whether it's a completely online class or whether it's a traditional class that meets in the classroom, but every single course has a Blackboard presence. So we're not only impacting those students that we typically define as online, but we're also being able to reach those students in the classroom that may have some of those accessibility issues with the content. Just the alternative formats in itself, I think, lends so much to all users in the LMS that um, it was so seamless. Now it's, it's just like it, it's supposed to be there. It, it's not supposed to be a separate entity. So it's really melded with other things that we do within the LMS. And you rolled out Ally pretty quickly to the whole campus. Did you start with a pilot, or what was the process? We. When we started the process of, of presenting to our campus and our executive council to purchase this, that we moved through this in a month's time frame. We pushed this through, so we went from like October to November a um, year and a half ago to purchase Ally and include it. In the spring, we did initial training um, with Randy Johnson, mm -hmm. um, and then we also ran a small pilot with about 20 faculty members um, where they came into some of the training that was um, conducted by Blackboard and in their courses and they started working on it. Then we had it on so selected courses in the fall that we were working on some things. And then this past fall, uh, attending the Access and Higher Ground Conference, 
it all came together of how we need to turn this on and implement it and, and start a plan for remediation of, of content. So January, we turned it on campus-wide, but we also cleaned up old courses and old course files and got rid of a lot of duplicates and then conducted training with 50 faculty members and chose 68 courses that we want to focus on. So we're, we're kind of doing a pilot this spring and we will continue this probably through the summer and work on these specific courses, letting them have a master course that they're going to copy from in the future. And that way we know that the content's correct in it. And then in the fall, we'll probably bring the training more campus-wide. Um, campus is aware of it. Some of them are using it. We're not focusing so much campus-wide right now. We're focusing on that pilot. So we've done like two initial pilots um, since we've turned this on. But the pilot that's currently going, I'm, I'm tracking data. I, I know what their score was. I, I gathered baseline data to see what their score was before we ever did anything and gave them that number and then conducted initial training with them so that they could start remediating and they saw that number increase. And now we're completing that remediation in those courses and then reviewing that with the faculty members. And some of the data that you're tracking there and you just showed me some crazy spreadsheets that you're doing all of this data collection and tracking. What other data points are you tracking to help you understand kind of the time that it takes to go through these courses and, and all of that? So on the spreadsheets that we have, um, the students actually start out with a date and a time, and then they also tell me on the document what they did to remediate. They we're tracking what type of document. Was it a Word document, a PowerPoint, a PDF? Sometimes they may do images, but we are asking our faculty members to remediate images um, because they know what that alt text should be. And when you say students, this is your student remediation team. Ex that, exactly. That and, and I call them students. Um, they're actually you know, part-time employees of the college, but they were all students at one time. And some of them were students that I had in courses that I teach um, as an adjunct. And they were good students, and so I handpicked them. And that's how they came to me. And then Angus, who is blind, you know, came as a work study because he was enrolled and the instructor requested some assistance to make sure that his content was accessible to Angus. And so we stumbled on Angus and grabbed him and, you know, he's now part-time. So I call him my students because they were students here at some point. But they've all, other than Angus, have graduated um, <laughs> and continued to work with me. And then also a work-study student that does um, transcripts for us. She will remediate that. But even with her doing transcripts, everything is date and time stamped. And then also a little description of what they do in there. So we um, track the document type, how many pages the document was. I'm taking averages of pages. I'm taking averages of time spent and, and able to, to follow all of that. To I'm, I never know when I'm going to need that. And people don't realize how long it takes to remediate a document. You know, a PowerPoint can take, you know, five hours to remediate, depending on the length of it um, and the issues that they're finding. And so, you know, we want to know exactly that our time is valuable and that it's worth what we're doing here to also support continuing, you know, to keep them employed in here. And so the process then, so you've picked uh, 68 courses, you said? Yes. 68 courses. Mm -hmm. So just kind of beginning to end, what's that process look like? You take a, pick up a course, you start off by looking at the file content, or what, just walk through the process and the QA that's involved, and also the roles that the students play in that process. Okay. Um, so our deans chose high enrollment courses. So I met with um, each of the divisional deans, and 
our arts and sciences have a little more robust. They've chose 25 courses um, that we're looking at. And then our business division has 13. Our health has 10 or 13. Um, we have an EMS fire area that's through our um, workforce development. They've chosen maybe six or seven and then our engineering programs. They don't have as many online classes, but we're even looking at seated classes because they put a lot of content in Blackboard for those seated and, and web-assisted classes. So the initial process is we focused on some high enrollment courses. And then um, in December, I pulled all of the statistics for those courses, what their Blackboard Ally score was, and then um, pulled the sheet of what was it images, was it missing headings, you know, the report that you pulled, the institution report that you can see that, and printed that out. Then in January of this past year, um, scheduled 30 trainings, um, 15 on image remediation only, and then 15 on course file management how to make folders in their course files, how to organize that, chunk their stuff together because if they wanted to download all their PowerPoints, they could download it in a zip file if it was in a folder. Removing duplicate files. Um, showing them how to replace a file in a course instead of removing it from an attached item and then reattaching it and now it has a number in the course files. So explaining that and giving them the management on that. So that was the initial training that was conducted in January with 50 faculty members. And we did them in small groups. There was four was the maximum that they could come in training. So we had more hands-on. They were um, doing the image remediation in the courses. So we showed them how to do it with the Blackboard image, which is very easy. Click on the red gear shift, add the alt text, you know, click add. And they would see the gear shift change and they were all excited. Um, showed them how to download a Word document or a PowerPoint and run it through accessibility and just fix the issues with images and not to make it overwhelming to them, like I don't know how to do the heading. And my student workers can, can take care of that type of remediation. So that was our first step. We spent January doing training. And um, then we've also purchased um, a software called Common Look that helps us with our remediation as long as, as, as well as using Adobe Professional. And then we started um, breaking up the courses, uh, adding my student workers as course builders. So they had access to the course files and were not able to see grade books. So they, we didn't have to worry about the integrity of the student grades being compromised. Um, so then we created a spreadsheet and this took a couple tries to figure out the best way to do all of this. We used Dropbox um, shared folders. So I create an initial spreadsheet with all the information for them. I enroll them in the as a course builder in the course. We number the folders in their Dropbox so they know the, the, how they're supposed to work through them. And then they go into the course files and they'll download the course file and then they'll remediate it and put it in their Dropbox folder. Once they complete the, the initial remediation, Sarah and Shauna are the two that go through that, then it gets ready for screen reader testing which is our quality of control. And so they take that folder and they move it over to Angus so that he now can take those same files and go ahead and listen to those, run them through the screen reader. And then he keeps a spreadsheet of all the data that he's going through and any comments if there's things to get done. As Shauna and Sarah are remediating documents, they're replacing the files in the course files. So they're using the gear shift and then they you know, will go upload that file so that the current and the correct file is, is in there. If Angus has any issues with it, then I pull the file from where they left it with him, and then I will continue with any additional remediation, some things that they may not have the skills to remediate. 
and then if Angus needs to listen to it again, we'll send it back to him, or I will upload and replace the file in there. And we're keeping up with time of everybody that spends in the remediation, so initial remediation, screen reader remediation, and then my final remediation of the document. And then I also look at the HTML report that, that comes through Blackboard Ally, and then I'll go in and remediate anything that we can do there. So when I'm done, the lowest score I've had so far is a 97% with Blackboard Ally and a number of 100%. So it's very exciting. And are those lingering percentages usually like some, some issues that are difficult to fix? Is it some kind of quirky file or something like that? Pardon? Um, the class that I teach is an adjunct because of the content. I teach an advanced word processing course. So a lot of the files that I upload as content are files that the student has to use to do an exercise. It might be applying heading styles. So we know that that document will not ever be 100% because it's not going to have heading styles on it. That's part of the student's work. So depending on the content, subject matter, there may be classes that will never reach 100%. Mm -hmm. um, but as long as the instructor understands that, then that's okay because I know it's the best that it can be. Yeah. And then some of those are the OCR, which you showed me the trick right. today. So um, I might be going back and fixing those and bringing those 97s to 100 mm -hmm. <laughs> if I can or get a little closer. Mm -hmm. um, some of it, um, some of the HTML I've, I've tried to look at, I can't figure out why it's not given me that reading and it's few and far between, there's, there's a few in there. Some of the, the things that we're also finding is, you know, the faculty are putting the PowerPoints, the publisher PowerPoints. In. And so what we're also finding is that they're asking students to pay to access the publisher's site and the publisher's PowerPoint is already there. So why do we want to put that file in our course? Why don't we link to the publisher's content? And then it's not, we're helping increase their scores as well. So we're trying to work smarter as well. Like, yeah, I pay, they have to pay this course code. They're going to access, this is where their videos are. This is where their PowerPoints are. Well, let's link to them and tell them that's where they're going to get that. And then, then we don't have to worry about remediating that document. Um, and then publisher PowerPoints change every two years. We don't want to spend a bunch of time remediating a document that's not going to be good next time they use the course. And then also Cengage, I'll give kudos to them. Their new content that they're creating, their PowerPoints are awesome. And so many of them are accessible with amazing alt text that they're putting in there for their graphs, for their images. So definitely kudos to them, and I have reached out to tell them that. So they're, they're doing their job. And so it sounds like one of the maybe unanticipated benefits where, when you're talking about file management and cleaning up courses has also been on the LMS directly, maybe. Absolutely. Um, just getting rid of cleaning up those course files. Is, is a real big, uh, has made a real big impact on the amount of storage space that we may be utilizing in Blackboard. Um, it's amazing how many multiple copies of the same document was being uploaded to a, one specific course, but it was all because the instructors did not have the training, the knowledge to be able to know how to do that um, efficiently. And so just get, getting rid of all of those duplicate documents or getting rid of possible documents that haven't been attached. They were unattached but never removed from the course. So it has had an impact even, even on that. Sometimes when they're copying the course from the semester, the old syllabus is still, 
you know, lingering in the course files and they don't realize, oh, I need to remove this. Mm -hmm. And, so, you know, so we're trying to, to teach them how to work smarter and, and utilize that and teach them that that course files is their course flash drive. Make folders, organize, delete, you know, replace that way. And, um, you know, if you can give them that concept, they understand it a little bit better. And, and Karen uh, had mentioned linking out to the publisher's content. That in itself, if everybody would link out to where that content is, that would free up so much more of our storage capacity um, within the LMS and we wouldn't be paying an additional fee for that additional storage that we need. What's been maybe the biggest challenge in remediating these courses? Are there any particular file types or you mentioned the, the scans is, is the, scans the, the big scans one. for sure. We need a little more knowledge with remediating if it's the PDF, you know, because those are so difficult. If we don't have that source document, um, a lot of faculty also trying to link them to where those PDFs are located. Instead of downloading the PDF on a website, make a web link to the URL, and then you know, hopefully if the publisher updates or whoever on their website, then you know then that document will be updated there as well with it but you know if I don't have that original document then I'm trying to you know convert it or I'm trying to remediate it um, in the tag structure and you know I know enough to be dangerous sometimes <laughs> and you know there, we need more training and more knowledge on actually remediating that PDF and, and those are bears with it sometimes with the PowerPoints just you know we're having some contrast issues but we're, we're not focusing on fixing those so much right now PowerPoints are missing titles and people just they don't use the built-in layouts when they're creating PowerPoint and they don't understand that because they were never taught you know they weren't taught how to add structure to Word documents we're trying to make that common now here at the college with our syllabus template that we've, we've created and train all of our full-time faculty on how to use that so it's just that that's not their area of expertise and so that's the struggle that they don't understand and realize how to do it and why they have to do it. Earlier you were talking about HTML content and so you're talking about looking at the institutional report and checking uh, what HTML pages that they've created in the course. Correct, yeah. correct. So if, the, if there's, we, we have one that I created, it's called, it's our technical information and it kind of lists where our labs are located on our cloud. And um, because it was copied and pasted sometimes, it's got a malformed list and you know it looks right it's got indented bullets it's got bullets but when I clear and strip the formatting in it it loses the bullets so now I realize that's the malform list so I fixed it in our course template so whenever Kim and Beverly create courses now it's created copied correctly but we've got so many old courses that are using mm -hmm. that now I'm trying to go back in and fix it when I'm doing some of these things so those are things that the faculty don't have access to sometimes they're easy fixes sometimes it tells me we've used um, the blackboard um, styles so we're trying to apply the heading one and the subheadings, but then it may be missing a heading, so I have to go into the HTML and search for the heading code and then delete if there's a blank heading, because sometimes blank headings show up. And, and so those are things as, as well that you know, we spend time remediating. And allies soon will provide feedback on, at the instructor level on that HTML content, so hopefully that will help Yay. that cause. And did yeah. you notice how much more HTML content you have now compared to two years ago in your institutional report? There's uh. quite a bit more. <laughs> it's my fault. The way we were designing and building things, we started using the styles. Yeah. And so instead of them adding a document that was one paragraph, 
or their outcomes, and the student had to open up a Word document to say what the student outcomes were, and it was a list of three things. So we started making that an item, and so that's one of the reasons there as well, so that why would we want to force them to open up a Word document that they may not have, especially mobile. You know, they may not have Word on their phone and be able to open that document. And so it was like, let's reduce our documents in our courses for those short little things. Let's put it on the screen so that they can read it, especially if they're doing a mobile view. So that's one of the reasons why that number has increased. Well, it, I think it's really good. It, I mean, it certainly contributes, I think, to the improvement in your score, too, overall, because that content is generally much more accessible than the Word document or the PDF. So mm -hmm. I think it's a great move seeing that HTML increase because we know that it's going to be more accessible. Mm -hmm. And how did you how did you get involved in accessibility, Karen? I, this is this was not your original calling. <laughs> no, it was not. Um, it, it just kind of fell in my lap. And, and it's something that I enjoyed the challenge and the change of it. So I started, you know, searching out ways to do more with accessibility. And it was part of our online process when we started our, um, we started in, in we called it our pilot project from 2007 to 2010 with online standards. And there was a small piece built in there with the accessibility. And then with our QEP in 2010, my position changed over to instructional technology. And our QEP began in 2012, and we did online quality standards. And one of our sections was accessibility. So because I was over that portion of the QEP, accessibility fell into my lap. And so when we were doing course reviews, we were checking for that basic 508 stuff that they were talking about, know that you had lists, that you had descriptive hyperlinks, mm -hmm. that you had alt text, you know, that you had captions and transcripts. So that little short punch list, you know, we were looking at that. And then in 2014, North Carolina Community College System told us that we had to have a five-year accessibility plan. And I was asked to oversee the e-learning content of it because I was already working with this in our standards. And so we helped develop the plan. And so once again, I just felt like I needed to know more and you know, searched out um, a certificate program through the University of Illinois that helped with accessibility. And a lot of it's you know, learning on your own, you know, attending conferences where you can find accessibility and, and watching people present and seeing how they're remediating documents. And okay, that's good, let's go try that. And then I come back and drag Kim in and show her what I learned. And so, you know, sometimes we know we're just, we know enough to be dangerous, but you know, we, we try and figure it out, it's a puzzle. And, you know, my motto is I always win. <laughs> and one way or another, I'm gonna make it work. And so I, I, I enjoy, you know, getting in there and trying to figure it out. I think Karen is a natural born project manager. Over the years, uh, I've seen Karen lead multiple initiatives on campus, and this was just a natural transition from the quality initiative into accessibility. And Karen becomes very passionate about the project that she's working on. In fact, before the state of North Carolina told all of the educational institutions that we needed a five-year accessibility plan, Karen was already passionate about accessibility from the enhancement Plan. Yeah, QEP. Right, QEP. Yes. So Karen and I went out to Utah to a WebAIM Web workshop and were one of the two colleges from North Carolina present. So I feel like that we were almost pioneers 
in moving accessibility and education forward in North Carolina, but a lot of that was due to Karen's natural ability to be a great project manager and to be passionate about whatever it is that she's working on. And so Gaston College is where it is because of Karen's passion. And she always wins, it's like she said. <laughs> and we all know that. <laughs> and so we've been very successful at Gaston because of that. And when accessibility wins, everybody wins. Absolutely. So that's a good thing. <laughs> and, and our college has been so supportive very. of this. Um, you know, if we say we need it, they, they make it happen. And when we decided we wanted Blackboard Ally, it was like two or three weeks. It was, it, it was decided that, yes, we're going to do this. And, you know, we were able to say why we needed it. We were able to show them why we needed it. We were able to show them how great it was going to be. And so, you know, we, we had those facts and figures, and they're like, yes. And if we say we need this, yes. You know, fortunately, we've been able to use Perkins funding. And I have two, you know, workers that are here 28 hours a week um, and able to assist with this. You know, they've um, allowed me a temporary part-time position with Sarah, and I've had her for three years. I'm allowed to have work-study students that can help with transcripts. You know, so they have been very, very supportive. If we ask for it, they pretty much will see that we get it. What was part of making that business case for Ally? What, what, what did, you, did you talk about, like, the, uh, what you were currently doing in accessibility? Yeah, because we really didn't have a way to track the numbers. We didn't know how many documents we had in Blackboard. You know, it was, it, we knew the courses. We knew how many courses we had in there, but we didn't know, we couldn't drill down to that content. And as soon as we saw the ally, we can say, you know, this course has 73 documents, you know, and these are the issues with it and the remediation features of it. I meant to say something earlier with it. When you did that instructor preview, of, you know, now their Word document and it's going to show us that where the contrast colors are messed up in the document or where the heading structure is. That was the greatest thing. And when I um, saw you guys in November at Accessing Higher Ground, did a little conversation and I was the preview was coming and I got to see that in your beta and I was like, oh my gosh. When I got back, I was like, you cannot believe what's going to happen. And then you turned it on in January. <laughs> and I was like, yes. So, so that's great because now they can say, oh, that's what's wrong with it or where they're, they're looking for it. And it just makes that so much easier to remediate those documents. And when you rolled out to the entire campus, that was in, Jan in January? In January, yes. Any, any pushback from faculty? Did you get questions? What are these gauges doing? Why is my course all red? Did any questions come through the office at all? I don't, I don't really think it did because I think we had done a really good job back in the fall of doing some initial training. Um, we took the opportunity at convocation. We had convocation in January. Uh, in January, uh, and so we let them know what the gauges meant. I even had some little marketing um, cards, if you will, set up to advertise some 30-minute workshops. Karen had mentioned some uh, training that we had done. Our faculty could come to a 30-minute lunch workshop and, and learn about the gauges so that they didn't panic mm -hmm. when they saw the gauge. Um, we did a lot of that last summer. Started um, in, in the, the summer. In the spring, we did mm -hmm. um, a tips, tricks, and triage. So we T3. called it T3. And we did it twice a week, little 30-minute sessions. In May, we focused on Ally, a little bit introduced what it was and some remediation. Kim did some in the summer, training in the summer and in the fall. So they had that training 
convocation we presented and then created two soft chalk tutorials, just embedded your videos, the student view, the faculty view, and emailed the links so that they could see that, posted it on the Blackboard login page actually. Yes, so that they could say, you know, this is Blackboard Ally, this is what it means, and you could, you know, just go look at the video real quick. So we tried to really promote it and send it out to campus and sent that out as an email as well. So they see it, and then once they see the gear shift change, they got really, really excited, you know, and I was getting, what's my score now? You know, so in, in our initial training, they had a, a printout of the little, the circles with their percentages and then the list of the items that were, um, the number of items that were wrong, so they just got a little baseline thing. But immediately it was like, what's my score? What's my score? So now don't you provide them a certificate? I, yes, I've also made a little certificate. So they have a Blackboard Ally certificate with their percentage on it. And then I, when, they get, when I get done, I send them an email of all the, the numbers of how, much, how many documents, what their score was before, um, how much time we spent remediating the courses. And then I also send that to their dean as well, so that and then a copy of the certificate. And it also lists what's now their, we call their new master course. So the next time they teach the course, they know which course to copy from when they put in their request. So they also get a little certificate um, that we just created to, nice. to give them the little kudos. Everybody likes a certificate. Mm -hmm. You're never too old for a certificate. Know, so. And you also, part of your early process was doing a syllabus template as well. So your entire campus now uses the template? Yes. What was, what was that process? Because that's definitely something that we talk a lot as a, <laughs> as a starting point for institutions is, hey, look, work on an, an accessible syllabus if it's a template or if it's working with what they had. First, was there pushback in trying to get them to use a template? Well, I think we sort of did it uh, covertly without them really realizing what was happening. It seems like uh, the beginning of last summer, the summer before. It's been two years. Okay, two years ago. Well, it's been a while now. The beginning of the summer, Karen and I had a conversation, and I had been very passionate about at least getting a common look to all of our syllabi because we had some syllabi that was created in 1960, in, uh, was it Pica font or something? Oh, well, it was a type, a type. Oh, it, it was, was from horrible. a typewriter. It was from a <laughs> manual typewriter, all the way to your latest word document. Three-fourths of our syllabus, of our syllabi, are all the same. You know, it has the same information. There's only certain things that need to change. So Karen and I started talking and felt like, you know, if we needed to start with one thing that we could make accessible that would impact the most people, and it would also get us decent syllabi across campus, that that would be it. And so we uh, covertly, I think, encouraged all of the other deans to get on board. We ended up getting copies from all the divisions and then found the common elements. And, right. and then we decided to make sections. Because I think we even first started by just, we wanted to go in and make the syllabus accessible. And then we realized, oh my word, they're all different. It's going to take enormous number of hours to do this. What we need to do is start out with one type of document and make it accessible. And I mean, that was a big project. We took our policies and procedures manuals. There's a list of things that need Students. to be included that were required to be in there. Right. And we made that one section. So there's nothing that the faculty have to change in that. We made a, a part one that includes their course description, their outcomes, their textbook, 
it's usually about two pages long, and that's where they can change their textbook information and um, some of that basic, their course requirements. And section two is where the big changes were, that this is where their grading policy is located. This is what their grading scale is. This is their late work, their tardy policy. But we also included the college policy, and there's sections that they can change. But then we structured it with styles and navigation before somebody might you know, bump it up to 16-point bold all caps and thinking that's a heading. So we made that structure. Then we, we created what we thought was going to be the, a good template. And then we met with all the deans and brought them in and let them vet it. And they said, we want this here. We think this is here. We think this is good. And got their input and their buy-in on it. And so we established our template. And then we started training. And so we required all of the full-time faculty to come to training. Some adjunct faculty came to training. We walked them through how to use the template. There's an instruction sheet on the very first page telling them that what's in this green font, you can change. That's all you need to change. Then we have that consistent look, and we put it on our shared network. And it's broken up by divisions in our shared drive, and then all of the faculty have access to that. The department chairs are able to edit in there. So they can go, if they need to make a change about a textbook on the master template, then they're able to do that. So all faculty can access that main template. The summer, each summer, if there's changes, if the college has made a change to the withdrawal process, that needs to be changed campus-wide. Well, arts and sciences, the dean there handles their syllabi. They have like 113. I think we have 672 syllabi on our campus, and I manage the other less 113. So my student workers will spend a month going in there in the master syllabi and making those changes so that we know that they're consistent. And then we're getting them in the habit of it now because this will be our third fall that we're having an effective date. Mm -hmm. And so the deans will say, make sure you pull it off of the shared drive. you got to update it. So if they... We let the department chairs update the textbook or the faculty can change it, but the main stuff that we're, uh, we're not requiring them to update because when we used to say, hey, change your syllabus, add this statement to it, there's no telling where it would have gone. Now they're all in the same place. And then we showed them the benefit of using the styles that they have to put a withdrawal date in every syllabi and there's certain dates throughout the semester depending on when the course starts and the length. So we showed them, hey, you turn this on, you click withdrawal process, now you don't have to scroll to page six. You can go in there and get to it quickly. So we showed them the benefit of using the styles for themselves. And then also, as a side note, we showed them the benefit of using styles and how to conduct, uh, create a table of contents because you know a lot of these people have advanced degrees and they had to do a dissertation. <laughs> and they're like, oh! you know, this is great. I wish I had known this before. Mm -hmm. So we've shown them the benefits of not just for accessibility, but just for them to be able to scroll and quickly get to items in their syllabus that need to be updated and changed. Absolutely. All right. I think we're almost ready to break for lunch. Sounds good. Last questions here. So moving forward, is the plan to continue to kind of support the instructors kind of centrally by going course to course as well as the hope that they're also going to start to initiate more of this on their own? Um, a lot of them when we started the training they're like oh how do I finish this remediation other than just the document so there want some of them want to know more with it and some of them will not um, with it so it, it all it's going to depend we're wanting to encourage faculty to start learning how to do that hopefully we're getting them in the habit and training them how to do that so some of them are excited with it 
So that's, that's kind of the goal with it, but also we want to continue to support this way that if they're not going to do that and it's a high enrollment course, that we're building it that way and just working in collaboration with them in that. Also, if we have a, um, an accommodation from our special needs counselor about a student in a course, then that course we would definitely make sure that we get into that course and, and check that course for accessibility, depending on what the need is in that course. So if, it's, if you're an impaired student, then we would make sure that anything that they have is captioned in there and work with the faculty member, making sure that they're, they're putting accessible content in there. If there is a specific video that we need to provide a transcript for, then we would work with, with that. You know, if, it, if it's a visually impaired student, then we would want to make sure that the documents and the content in there has the proper heading structure and it's a, a tag document as well. So that would be a priority. You know, we would definitely jump into those courses first. And has that been kind of the collaboration with Disability Resource Office yes. is kind of working with accommodation letters and yes. going into those courses? Yes, yeah. yes. So, and we have a very good relationship with, with that coordinator. It's, it, or the previous ones, we're in the process of rehiring that position because they've been promoted to another position on campus. But we work very closely with that office um, in, in trying to make sure that we are able to meet those needs. And Kim, last question for you. Um, you've seen a lot of technologies come around for the learning management system. You know, what gets you so excited about Ally in particular? I think um, the ease of use. It was so easy to learn what it was telling me. It was the, the graphics are, are awesome. They're simple to understand. But I think most importantly, it's the benefit that it gives to the users. And we're not just talking about those users that have identified accessibility issues. We're talking about everybody because all of us, especially as we age, need some sort of assistive technology. Um, so I see Ally benefiting every student, every employee, anybody that comes into contact with our learning management system and hopefully in the near future, even with our website. Great to hear from Kim and Karen about their journey to more inclusive education. Hearing about their process, a lot of institutions they always think, well, where should we start? How do we make a dent into this giant accessibility challenge? And here we see working with deans, identifying those high-impact courses, bringing in a student like Angus, building that team, making sure that the content is accessible to people who use screen readers, that they can navigate successfully through that environment, Really cool to see. Thanks so much for the team from Gaston getting the chance to talk with them. And next time, we'll be reporting from the Medical University of South Carolina, hearing about how they're using Blackboard Ally at a medical university to make for a more accessible community, not just at the university itself, but also the surrounding hospitals. Until then, see you on the road to Inclus City. Join the tour along with the rest of the Ally community at tour.ally.ac. You can catch the latest updates on Instagram and Twitter at hashtag AllyTour2019. And listen to stories of inclusion from our community champions on the Ally Tour 2019 podcast series, available on SoundCloud or in your favorite podcast app. We'll look forward to seeing you at the next stop on the road to Inclus City.